Book One In the beginning, there was Zeus. Once upon a time, there was a change, and then another change, and then another. There was a whole bunch of changes, and that's what I'm going to tell you all about right here and right now, unbroken and chronological, so here we go. In the beginning, there was chaos. That's it. This big, indiscriminate lump of elements badly heaped together, where everything got in the way of everything else. It was terrible, not that I was there. But then along came a god, not Zeus, but we're all singing Disney Hercules right now, aren't we? Some random dude that organised everything. We don't know who it was, but it must have been one of them up there, right? Anyway, yeah. They sorted out, like, the sea and the wind, and they made some of the earth too hot, some too cold, and some just right. They added the stars, drawing them forth from the darkness, and all in all made sure everything was in its proper home. And then the humans were made, bit of a wild card, either by Prometheus or the aforementioned god Sperm. Who knows, but here we are. Aren't we great? Anyway... Unlike other creatures which hang their heads, humans were made to look up at the stars and the skies and the gods. And thus, there was the golden age. And everything was perfect and right. Things got a little hazy when Kronos was confined to Tartarus and Jupiter took over, but he encouraged things like the seasons and that and did an alright job, you know, like, like the runners-up, you know? So he got the Silver Age. Then there was the Bronze Age, because we, I mean humans, began to muck it all up a little bit, so everything was a little bit grimy and less polished. And then there was the Iron Age, which is as dreadful as it sounds, really. Humans became cruel, greedy, wicked, treacherous, friends turned on friends, husbands he hoped their wives would die, and wives hoped their husbands would die, and stepmothers concocted poisons, and sons tried to kill their fathers, and really it was just one more big mess again. Even Olympus was having similar problems, and some giants were piling mountains together to reach the stars, as you do, and when Jupiter did get around to destroying them, their blood spawned a whole race of even more cruel men, and really his patience was wearing quite thin. Now, the main road in the sky is the Milky Way, obviously, and Jupiter has his palace right at the end, like the head of the table. And all the other gods live um, alongside the street, like some kind of divine cul-de-sac, or the Palatine Hill of the Heavens, we might, you know, suggest. Anyway, the gods all assembled and sat down, and had a bite to eat and a bit of a goss, and then Jupiter leant forward and said, I don't like these humans much. No one said anything. They didn't dare. Hermes reached for a grape. I didn't even want them here in the first place, Jupiter continued. I never told Prometheus that he could make them. Have you heard of um, that one of them, Lycian, had the audacity to threaten to kill me? The gods hadn't. Like the Lord Augustus, Jupiter leant back in his throne, shifted in his spot in the limelight, and began his story. Spoiler alert, he got what was coming to him. I heard him bragging about taking me on for months, so 
When I had a spare minute, I took human form and had a bit of a gander down on Earth. Horrible place, really. I told the men I encountered who I was, and naturally most of them threw themselves at my feet, but Lycian? No. He decides to kill me when I'm in bed. He also chopped up and cooked a man and tried to get me to eat it. I'm not really sure why. But anyway, I set fire to his house, destroyed everything he owned, and turned him into a werewolf, a particularly ugly one too. So that showed him. The gods didn't really know what to make of that. Some, probably Ares, laughed. But most of them were just worried about losing out on all the offerings, if all the humans were to be killed. Who would worship them then? Ah, so, uh, now that you mention it, Jupiter said, cleaning his teeth with a toothpick, there is one man and one woman who I was thinking of putting aside. So it was decided. Jupiter had planned to set the whole world on fire, but science wasn't his strongest subject, and he couldn't work out if it might accidentally set Olympus on fire too. He racked his brains, and then he remembered rain. That was a good element. Not quite as good as fire, but then again, his younger brother Neptune wasn't quite as cool as him. So, Jupiter called on the south wind, who apparently had a beard and feathers, both soggy and moist. Lovely. He called on Iris, the goddess of rainbows, and then he gave in and asked Neptune for a favour too. Thus, Neptune struck the earth with his trident and, to summarise, it pissed it down. Everything became the sea, and the sea with no shores at that. Some of the humans tried to escape in boats. They sailed past fish in trees, and nymphs swam through their new towns, houses and farms all underwater. Dolphins played in the flowers, tigers and lions and bears, oh my, were swimming amongst ducks. Waves lapped onto mountain peaks. It was really quite incredible. In Focus, there is such a mountain with twin peaks that pierce the clouds, and it is here that Deucalion and his wife Pyrrha ran aground in their little boat. They were the best of humans, and they were the two Jupiter decided could live. Good thing they liked one another. Pyrrha really would have to settle for her husband now that he was literally the last man left on Earth. Like, can you imagine? Anyway, they moored up and the waves receded. Everything went back to normal and, you know, if a little damp. And they looked out over the earth. Shit, said Deucalion. Being the pious couple that they were, they decided to pray to Themis for answers. The goddess pitied them, I don't blame her, but not that much because she gave them a bloody riddle, of course. Go forth. Cover your heads, take off your belts for no good reason and throw the bones of your great mother behind you. Understandably, Deucalion and Pyrrha were a bit confused. I don't want to dig up mum and lob her over my shoulder, Pyrrha sobbed. It had been a stressful 24 hours. I don't even know where her bloody grave is anymore. I don't fancy playing her a visit either, Deucalion replied. Then he had an idea. The goddess must have meant the earth. She's our great mother. Not that your mum's not decent, love, but I think we just need to dig up some soil. Pyrrha was impressed by her husband's unusual spurt of intelligence. Perhaps the 
God had given him that too. She wasn't convinced by the whole thing, but she supposed there was no harm in putting it to the test. So they trotted off down the hill, did as they were told, and sure enough, any stones they lobbed over their shoulders morphed into humans. Any Deucalion through were men, and any Pyrrha through were women. What a good date night that must have been. All the animals kind of grew from the moist earth in different shapes and sizes, depending on like the muddle of elements at the time. One of these was the python, which Apollo was famous for slaying, hence the Pythian games he began in his honour, of course. Any victors in these games won a crown of oak leaves, as Lovell wasn't really a thing back then. Actually, on this, Daphne, the daughter of Peneus, was Apollo's first love, all thanks to the spite of Cupid, too. One day, Cupid had been playing with Apollo's bow, which he didn't really like as he was a bit touchy about his things, and the two had an argument about the size of their arrows or whatever. Make of that what you will. Anyway, Cupid shot Apollo with his golden arrow, the one that causes love, and he shot Daphne with his lead blunt one, the one that stops love in its tracks. Now, Daphne, partly because of this, couldn't care less about falling in love. Her father kept trying to get her to marry, but she wasn't interested, despite being perfect and beautiful in every single way. All she wanted to do was run about in the woods and play Diana, so her father let her. Of course, Apollo was obsessed by her, not that he should be with the whole incest undertones here, and also his gifts of prophecy clearly fell short on this occasion, but anyway, he pursued her relentlessly, thinking about her hair, her eyes, her lips, her thighs. Anyway, one time he actually approached her in the forest. Daphne, babe, it is I, Apollo. I am here to make you my wife. Wait, no, wh- wh- why, why, why are you running away? Come back, it's only me. Daphne, come on, come on. Apollo, panting, began to run after Daphne, who was sensibly fleeing into the woods. What more could you want? I'm Apollo, Lord of Delphi, Tenedos. I'm the son of Jupiter. I can see into the future and I bloody invented music. I am the one who came up with the concept of medicine. I'm basically a legend. Come on, slow down. He would have probably said more if he could catch his breath. Daphne ran on until she reached a river and she called out to her father, a river god, by the way, and begged to be transformed so Apollo couldn't catch her. I'm not really sure if a tree is what she had in mind, but you have to be specific about these things, don't you? So by the time Apollo did reach her, she'd become a laurel tree. He still thought she was lush, and this is why the laurel wreath was used as a crown and was so special to Apollo. Peneus, Daphne's father, had a nice spot where he would chill with the other river gods. They couldn't really work out whether to congratulate or console him, and the only other river god not that present was Inachus, who similarly had a daughter with a bit of a divine affliction. Inachus's daughter, Io, was missing. Jupiter had caught sight of her one day and thought, mm-hmm, wouldn't mind a piece of that. You know how it all goes now, guys. But Juno, Jupiter's wife and sister, doesn't miss a trick. 
She noticed the earth was all dark at lunchtime, like the middle of the night, and immediately figured her husband was up to something. She popped down to earth, and Jupiter sensed her coming, so naturally he turned Io into a cow. What are you doing? Juno asked suspiciously. Nothing, absolutely nothing, just um, admiring this cow, Jupiter said quickly and very guiltily. It is rather lovely, Juno smirked. Can I have it? Um, what? The cow, Juno replied innocently. Can I have it as a gift for being such a lovely wife? Oh, um, sure, yeah, of, of course, of course. And so Jupiter, his hands tied, handed Io over to Juno. Solace, he whispered after her. Not giving up there, Juno passed Io to Argus, who had a hundred eyes in which only two were ever resting at one time, so he could see everything, including Io and any further attempts by Jupiter to sneak in and sleep with her again. Io was having a dreadful time, of course. She followed her father and sisters around and managed to trace her name out in the ground with one hoof to say who she was. Thank goodness she had such a short name, can you imagine? Alas! I'll have cows for grandchildren, Inachus cried, and the two mourned together. Jupiter was feeling a bit sad about this and a little bit bad, like about the whole thing generally, so he sent Mercury to go and sort it all out for him. Mercury thus went along to Argus, playing his pipes to distract him, and sure enough Argus, who often got lonely, asked Mercury to sit with him. Mercury did as he was told, and he tried to bore Argus to sleep by talking, but of course Argus never slept with all those eyes. What is that, by the way? Argus asked, pointing at the pipes. Oh, funny story, Mercury grinned. So, there was this one nymph, so lovely, she looked like Diana. Pan, the satyr, took a fancy to her and she ran away and begged to the river sisters to be saved. So when he did catch her, he found himself holding a clump of marsh reeds. As he stood there, like all sad, the wind blew through the reeds and made a lovely noise. And Pan said, oh, you and I shall always talk together like this. And that's how pipes were invented. Well... Mercury was only about halfway through this story when he noticed Argus had fallen asleep by some miracle, so he quickly beheaded him and went on his way. Juno was furious. She took Argus's 100 eyes and placed them on the tails of her favourite bird, the peacock. She cast out Io until Jupiter felt really awful, and he threw himself at Juno's feet and promised to never do anything like this ever, 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 ever again. Probably with his fingers crossed behind his back, of course. Io was thus restored to human form and she actually had a son named Epaphus, who may or may not have been Jupiter's. Python, Apollo's son, was a good friend of Epaphus's. He was rather full of himself, a genetic trait. And one day, Epaphus got a big sick of him and told him to piss off. You're probably not even the son of Apollo after all, Epaphus said. Your mum could have slept with anyone. 
Python ran home, very offended, and told his mum all of this. She wasn't best pleased either, mainly because some kid was trying to pass her off as a lying slag. If you want proof, you need to go and meet your father yourself, she said. And so, Python ran off to begin his adventures.